Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Hey everyone, it's Max. Welcome back to the basement. It's good to be back with you after a holiday season. Uh, It's nice to take a break, but it's also nice to get back into a rhythm, back into a schedule. And I hope and pray your holidays were happy and healthy and you were able to refocus in on, man, why why we live life. Uh, Jesus came and he died for us and he made a way for us to live true life. And that is a gift. And I love that we get to celebrate that through the holidays, through Christmas. Uh, So hopefully you are able to do that this year, in spite of this year, you know. So we are in John 13. Let's jump in. Uh, We're going to read through it and talk a bit about the big points here, but also really lean into something interesting that's happening within this text. Uh, We are in the upper room discourse, and that spans from John 13 all the way through to John 17. There's a lot of dialogue that goes on here, as we know that John likes to lean into the dialogue between Jesus and his disciples, Jesus and others. And so we are going to have an opportunity to glean a lot from this text and maybe lean into some of the uh, less explored areas of this discourse as well. Uh, And just another talking point, This is one of four discourses that Jesus gives, um, and it is called the Upper Room Discourse. I know I said that already, but um, yeah, just wanted to lay that out. That is where we're at. If anyone ever talks about the Upper Room Discourse, you know what they're talking about now. So here we go. Uh, John 13. Read along with me or listen intently. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, And that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew 
who was to betray him? That was why he said, not all of you are clean. So this is an amazing, amazing, amazing moment for Jesus and his disciples. It says clearly at the start of this that Jesus was thinking about or at least dwelling on the the truth that he was sent from the Father and that he was about to accomplish what he was sent to do. This is the week before, um, within the week. Actually, it's the Thursday before um, his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection. Um, you know, the reason why Jesus came. And in reflecting on that, sitting at this meal, this meal time, I want you to imagine this isn't a quick meal and then moving on to something else. This is the Passover meal. This is like w- what would equate to like a three-hour meal when you sit down with some somebody, it, people that you love and enjoy to be around. And it, as you eat, you still pick away at food and the plates are still sitting there and you're just talking and you're getting lost in the moment. That's what Passover was like. It was a time to celebrate and to enjoy. It was a party around the table. And maybe they didn't sit in chairs. They were reclining and and laying on each other's shoulders. It was it, maybe we would see it a little as a little bit weird from our modern perspective, but it's this intimate meal time. And as as Jesus is reflecting on his glory in a sense, um, he's thinking about man. I was sent from the Father, um, and again we talk about that the Father. Uh, the three persons of God, the Father who wills it all, Jesus, the Son, who carries out the will of the Father, and then the Holy Spirit, who is the delight between the two. So the Son is, in a sense, reflecting on who the Father is and how connected he is to the Father, and knowing that he has been given all things, when he hits this moment where he's he's like, wow, like, I am the son of God. He then stands up, right? In knowing who he is, in knowing his identity, knowing his kingship, his lordship, and his glory. He stands up and he sheds his outer garments. And then he grabs a basin and intending to wash the feet of the disciples. He wraps a towel around him and proceeds to do that. When I, I taught this earlier this, this week, um, people said, I, I said that Jesus got up and got naked. Um, and I think the way I said it, maybe, uh, hopefully everybody in the room n- knew what I was getting at, but he, he shed his outer garments. So it was like he, he, he was taking off a certain amount of covering and this is to be symbolic of Jesus taking off his rightful place as king, as Lord, as high and lifted up, as seated at the right hand of the Father, and coming down in the form of, the, of, of flesh, right? As a man, John 1. 
that he would come down in the form of a man um, in this physical form and he would wash the disciples' feet. Very reminiscent of him washing us sinners, those who have rebelled against him, washing us clean, right? And then he takes the towel and dries their feet. He finishes the job, right? And this is why he says to Peter, he says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will. Because this high and lifted up king has shed his outer garments, since in a sense shed his glory and come down as a lowly human to the the creator comes in the form of the created and to love and serve and die for the created so this this is in a sense a condescension of who Jesus was and so taking off these outer garments and washing their feet is symbolic of everything Jesus came to do. And Peter's floored, right? He doesn't understand. He calls him Lord and King. And later on in this text, he says, you call me Lord and teacher, and that's rightfully so. Um, Peter knows the place of Jesus. Peter is also very, very dramatic as we see in this text. You shall never wash my feet. And then he flips all the way once, once Jesus makes the statement, if you do not if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. So this is what I want to lean in to here in the midst of this amazing moment where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet and flipping sort of what the conversation was at the table we see from Luke 22 that they were arguing about who was the greatest among them. And and Jesus sort of puts this conversation in its place and flips the kingdom upside down and says, no, no, no the first shall be last. And if you want to be great, you have to serve and you have to love and you have to operate out of humility. But in the midst of this conversation, Jesus says to Peter, and you are clean, but not every one of you. And I, I just know in interacting with people, with Christians, um, through my limited experience on this earth, I know that people wrestle with this thought of assurance, assurance of salvation. And Jesus is talking about it here and now. And it's so subtle that I want to lean into it, and I, I, I want you to see this here. Jesus is using a little bit of a word play as Peter is being dramatic, Peter, right? He won't let Jesus wash his feet. And Jesus makes the statement, um, I have to wash your feet. Because 
if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You have no share with me. So this initial washing, which the word is nipto um, in the Greek. So the word is nipto. It's this temporary washing. It's a present washing. It's, it's, it's basically what it says it is. It's this washing of feet. And you can say I, I niptoed my whole body, but it's this sort of like present washing, um, more present tense, uh, sort of surfacey washing. Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. So now he's talking about this total body washing. And Jesus says to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash. So what he's saying here, he uses an, another word, which is luo. Um, the one who has luoed does not need to nipto, except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. So this luo is a deeper washing. It is a deeper washing all the way through. And what we can equate these two is luo would be our salvation. Luo would be where we have come to Jesus and in, by, by his choosing, we have come to Jesus and, and by our choosing and his choosing together, like we, we have come to Jesus and we have submitted our lives to him. And some of us wonder, man, sometimes I don't know if I've done that. I'm, I'm in habitual sin. Um, I do things and I think things that I know are not of God in reading through the scriptures. Am I actually saved? And that brings us to texts like um, Galatians 4, uh, where it says, But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption as sons, right? And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. So we see this Abba Father and not just a son, but an heir, which brings us to Romans 8, right? Romans 8, 12, it says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Again, that issue that we're, is nagging at us, the flesh, our sin, these tendencies that we have as hum human beings are nagging at us and, and making us wonder, am I really saved? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the Spirit has already come and filled us, and then by the Spirit, if we are putting to death um, the, the deeds of the flesh, right? Um, then we will live. So we see sort of two things, the spirit coming in and then the spirit helping us live out the Christian life, right? For all are led by the spirit who are, all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There it is again. The Spirit himself bears witness of our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, we're going to stop there for a second because the mechanics of this this now, this statement that we've heard twice in Scripture, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, and maybe you've heard me quote this before. Um, it's very intentional the way this is set up. Are Anyone can say, hey, Dad, right? Uh, Abba, Father. Yeah, it's really easy to say Abba, Father. But we see intentionally in both texts, in Galatians and Romans, it says to cry, Abba, Father. This desperation, this need is wrapped up in, in that crying, right? And it doesn't just say Father, but it says Abba, Father, which is a specific way to talk about Father God. I want you to equate it this way in that we could use the word Dad or Father, but when it's said like this, Abba, Father, it's like saying Daddy. 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 It's this desperate cry of Daddy. I need you, Daddy. It would be really weird. I heard a pastor say this. Maybe it was John Piper. It would be really weird for a 30-year-old. I'm, I'm 32. So a 30-year-old to um, get into a desperate place, right? And run up to their parent and say, Oh, daddy, daddy. It's something that that sort of this, that a child would say, right? And that's okay. I'm not judging you if you don't, if you run up to your dad and, and you call him daddy. That's great. Um, that's, that's actually shows your intimacy with your dad, how, how you think of him or view him. Um, but it's sort of this, we usually say daddy to our fathers in a time of our life where we are completely dependent on him, where we are completely dependent on him teaching us, on him providing for us, on him taking care of us, him and our, our moms, right? We are dependent on our parents. And in those times of our life, as we become more, more independent, it's like the daddy falls out of our tongue, right? Out of our mouth. Like we stop using the word daddy. And the reason why I bring this up is because God is, when the spirit comes inside of us, it's this moment, salvation is this moment where we realize we need help. We need help from God. We need help from Daddy, the Spirit of God. Um, we are completely dependent on Him. It's a moment where we realize that we are sinful in our nature and our flesh it keeps leading us into places of darkness and destruction. And so we come to this place where we realize we need help, that we can't do it on our own. The fall of man was a time um, when humanity was influenced by the serpent, um, by the influence of other forces, right? 
not possessed, but presented with this option, hey, are you going to serve and live for yourself? Or are you going to continue to serve and live for God? And so we've been running this race and trying to live and strive and do life for our sake. And salvation is this moment where we go, I can't do it. I need help. Daddy, daddy. But the interesting part about this moment where we cry, Abba, Father, where we cry, Daddy, and and in our desperation, we finally say, I need God. We need the Spirit to even do that. We see in 1 Corinthians 12, it's talking about spiritual gifts, but it really gives this insight into sort of how we are even able to worship a holy God. It says, now concerning the gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. So it's that flesh pulling us these different directions. However, you were led. However, you were led. There I w- Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And then listen to this. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? That our ability to even cry out, Daddy! that the Holy Spirit is part of that. So in that moment where we realize, man, I am a sinner. I am in rebellion to God. I was created in his image and I've been living for my own. God, I'm sorry. I'm coming to you. And we lay down our lives and we say, God, I will follow you. You, you, I need you. I need you, God. I repent of my sin. The Spirit comes in and helps us to say, Daddy, Daddy. And I'm not saying if you don't get on your hands and knees every single day and cry out in your prayer closet or wherever you spend time with Jesus, that if you don't cry out, Daddy, that you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. Because we see this comes in different forms. It's a posture of our heart. And the difference that we're going to lean into in in the next few weeks or as we go through John 13, we see two very different experiences with this. We see Peter, um, who's going to end up denying Jesus, but we also see Judas. And we saw that at the beginning of this text, that that the enemy had put in Judas's heart sort of these wrong intentions, that Judas was living for himself. And we know why, or we see through what transpires within the gospel story, what Jesus or what Judas was living for. He wanted to make a buck that instead of saying, Jesus, I follow you, daddy. He says, yeah, Lord, um, help me get to where I want to be. He was living for himself and Jesus was the means in which he was going to get there, how he was going to accomplish his goals. Whereas Peter makes a very, very different statement. Remember in John 6, uh, let me flip there real quick. 
John 6. This was after Jesus made those wild statements and said, hey, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Um, Peter, and he turns to his disciples after everyone has been weirded out and peels away. And Jesus says, are you guys going to leave too? Like, are, do you want to go away as well? This is John 6, verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go as well? And listen to what Simon says, Simon Peter. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you hear that in, in Peter? We have come, you have the words of eternal life, and, and we have heard and we believe. And we follow you, the Holy One, the Lord, the King of Kings. This is Peter crying, Daddy, Daddy, there is nowhere else for us to go. Completely dependent on him. For those of you who maybe read this and say, man, that's really nice that Jesus looks at Peter in this text and says, and you are clean. I wish he would just appear to us and say, don't worry, you're clean. Just let me continue to wash you. you. We need to continue to bring our sin. We need to continue to let him do work in our life and not try and do it on our own, even after salvation. Salvation, the best way I've heard it described is it's, it's a releasing of freedom in our lives that instead of being bound to things. And God wants to continue to push the limits of that freedom. He wants to continue to wash us and set us free from the things that we have been chained to our, our whole lives. And so because we walk, walk out into freedom in some respects in salvation, God wants to continue to push the limits of that. It's like a, a fence holding back all the darkness, and can, but Jesus wants to continue to push back the fence so we have freedom to live in his kingdom. It's this incredible process. It's a moment. It's a process. Um, and it's a relationship with Jesus. It's all the above. Um, and I know a lot of different Christian circles will say it's one of one of any of those. But, but it's all the above. And it's this beautiful um, walk that we get to go through with Jesus. It, it is the way of Jesus. I want you to feel assured today. Um, that if you have submitted your life to Christ, that in spite of your rebellion, Jesus came and he died and he washed your sins away, um, even though we still wrestle with them, we have an opportunity to come to Jesus, to come to Jesus and repent. And he will fill us with his spirit. So we cry, Abba, Father, we cry, Daddy, daily. And we come to him and we let him, he luoed us so that we can come to him and we can let him nipto wash us daily with his word with his spirit um, and help us to walk in the freedom that he offers us and in the amazing relationship we get to have with jesus hey be blessed today guys i love you um 
Looking forward to talking with you next week.